Welcome to the Spartan Underground Show, your ultimate resource for everything Spartan race training. Discover what the best SGX coaches are doing to help their clients boost performance, dominate obstacles, and get through each race burpee-free. Here is your host, Mike Diebler. All right, what's up, everybody? This is SGX coach Mike Diebler, and welcome to episode 28 of the Spartan Underground SGX show. As usual, we have an awesome show for you, giving you some great tips, secrets, and strategies to help you dominate your next obstacle course race. The show notes for this episode are going to be found at spartanunderground.com slash episode 28. So any links mentioned in the show, you can check out there. So I just got back from the Vegas Super and uh, definitely another awesome Spartan race. We'll do our official Spartan race recap next week, but just a couple of things that I wanted to get out there while it was still fresh in my mind. If you want to run this race in the future, um, number one is be ready to run in sand. Uh, this was a pretty difficult terrain to run in. It's, it basically felt like running at the beach with, with no water, although they did find a water obstacle out in the desert, which I was a little bit surprised with. And one trend I'm seeing with these Spartan races, uh, at least especially this year so far, is they love to backload some of those more challenging obstacles where you see a lot of running, a lot of terrain uh, in the beginning, and then the last mile to two miles, it seems to be just back-to-back tough obstacles to just when you're tired to really really beat you down. So it's something definitely to prepare yourself for and... Um, incorporate in your training so when you're tired being ready to do some of those grip dominant obstacles uh, in this case we had that back-to-back finish with the twista and then monkey bars and if you haven't gotten to the twista obstacle yet you might want to check out an article i just wrote and put it up on our blog i'll link to it in this episode's show notes but i come up with or i, I explain two strategies that uh, one the strategy that i've been using to get through this obstacle that has worked really well for me and i kind of walk you through it and even show you a video of me doing it uh, at this past race and then another technique that my wife used in this last race she used the uh, the technique i used previously and struggled with it a little bit so she changed it up and i i took a video of her doing this this different technique and kind of explain the pros and cons between it. So something to at least look at and play around with so you at least have a strategy going into this obstacle because it is tricky. And when you have to immediately go right into monkey bars afterwards, once your grip is just totally gone, it's definitely a struggle. And one thing you might have noticed is the amount of people who just tore up their hands from this combo. And and most, um, most likely from the Twista. I'm sure the monkey bars didn't help. But that that first obstacle just seemed to tear up people's hands. There was just a line of people at the medic tent, my wife included, and and a friend of mine uh, completely just tore up their hands. And looking on Facebook, you'll you'll see people posting all the pictures of of their hands just completely torn up. And luckily, this was at the end of the race, so a lot of people were able to power through and just uh, get through the finish line. But if this had come earlier, that might have been an issue for many people trying to you know, do the hoist or the bucket carry or, or other uh, obstacles that rely on your grip. So something at least to be aware of. And I'm going to write an article and probably a, a post a video as well talking about some reasons why people's hands are getting so torn up. I know some people were saying the metal was hot and that, that could be true. It was hot out there. I didn't particularly think it was that hot that would be burning people's hands. But, you know, it, that might have been um, causing some of the issues there. But I have a few theories why people are getting so beat up on that obstacle. So uh, stay tuned for uh, 
an article that I'll post on our website, and I'll get that guys out to you as as soon as I can. All right, well, we have another jam-packed show, so I want to get right into it. In this episode of the Underground SGX show, we have coach CJ Wagneron from MisfitStrength.com, and he's going to give us the Houston race recap, and he's going to talk about the sprint and the hurricane heat. So we had two races last week, so uh, I wanted to make sure we got the review of both of them in, and then, like I said, we'll get the Vegas recap next week. Uh, In our research review, I'm going to talk about a common household item to help cure those ripped up hands that you might have experienced from the Twista or any of the other obstacles. So um, we're going to talk about tea and how tea can actually help heal those hands faster so you can get back to your workouts, back to your training. We also have Coach Anne LaRue on. She's going to finish her series from last episode where she talked about her one of her latest articles from Spartan.com, the 10 lies that everybody believes about Uh, dieting plus five truths so she talked about some of the lies last time and she's going to finish off that series this episode with the truths and then finally we have uh, in our SGX coaches interview I have on Mark Barroso from BarrosoFit.com he's going to talk about his background and actually how he went from an athlete to a journalist to a Spartan coach which is kind of a unique uh, series of events for him We're also going to talk about how his background in bodybuilding, and and that's mainly what his type of training involves, and he does Spartan race training on the side. So he gets a little bit into his new training and nutrition, which might be different from some of the other things you've heard on this this podcast, where a lot of people are talking specifically about training for Spartan races, and he he talks about that, but he he talks about how he's not giving up his his, training. traditional bodybuilding program completely and he still embraces that but just adds a little bit of spartan training to it he's also going to get into his experience doing uh the sprint hurricane heat combo so doing both in the same day and he's actually going to talk a lot about his nutrition and his supplements that he uses in order to maintain his energy and performance through such a long event like that all right well that's it so let's get into this week's episode Hey Spartans, CJ Wagner here, NASM CPT based out of Houston, Texas, here to give you a review of the Houston Sprint. So I've done this course now for two years. Both years, it has been a very muddy course, uh, lots of fun. Make sure that your shoes were definitely tied. If, if you know you're going into a course where it's going to be muddy, definitely tie your shoes. We saw lots of random shoes just stuck in the mud people getting stuck in the mud uh especially especially as they go on as more people go through they just that mud just gets thicker and thicker and people just get stuck there we had a lot of hanging obstacles we had rope climb uh we had the monkey bars Uh, obviously we had the bucket brigade this was definitely the the flattest bucket brigade i've ever done about a hundred yards or so, so just filling it up, and you're just, you're going. No hills here. This is Houston. We are a flat city, so we make up for it by being muddy. Uh, this this course also had probably the longest barbed wire crawl I've ever seen in Spartan. Made it a lot of fun. Uh, I prefer the rolling technique where you roll for a little bit switch and 
roll on the other side so you don't get too dizzy. And this is probably the most that I've ever switched within a barbed wire. One thing that you definitely need to do to make sure that you can do some of these obstacles, some of these hanging obstacles, you know, rope climb, monkey bars, is uh, work on your grip strength. That's the one thing that I hear from so many people who just can't do this. I just, I just can't grip these things. So one, one way you can do that is you can find some weights in your gym. This is what I have my clients do. And just grab them. I'll give my clients really heavy dumbbells or really heavy kettlebells. And we'll just walk around. Every time they have to set that kettlebell or dumbbell down, they'll do three or five burpees. This will help help you with grip strength and it'll help deter you from setting those that weight down as much as possible. Uh, another way you can do it is find a bar and hold on to it for as long as you can each time trying to increase that time. Another another thing you need to do for those kind of obstacles is you need to work on your back and shoulder strength. This one's simple. Especially because it's body weight, you need to be able to work with your body. One way to be able to work with your body on the back is simple pull-ups. Now, pull-ups don't come easy to everybody. One way you can get started, you can find a bar, you can find maybe a TRX suspension strap, and you can do body weight rows. That will still strengthen up your body, the back there, and get used to your body doing these kind of movements. And they'll greatly help on those kind of events. Now, after I did the sprint i stuck around and i later did the hurricane heat the hurricane heat was with uh crypteria dylan he did a great job uh one thing he did right off the bat was he just had us go through rolling mud so right from the get-go we're wet and you know it's it's been raining all day people are trying to stay dry here we just got wet right away uh we also had a race underneath the barbed wire so we had to first partner up and drag our partner through the barbed wire go to the halfway point turn around and then we would have to get dragged back so the person doing the dragging was then dragged coming back and then after that we had our teams race each other all the way down the barbed wire and we had to run back to the beginning outside of the barbed wire uh this was a this was a uh, unique hurricane event because of all the mud and the rain that had happened that day. Cars were getting stuck in the VIP area right across the street. So what we did as the hurricane heat is we had to then go to the VIP and help push the cars out. This was a great learning experience because you're just learning how to work with complete strangers that you just you don't even know. Uh, we all grew together as a team. Right now, we all have a, we have a Facebook group that we are talking together now, and we are actually looking to plan on doing more hurricane heats in the future. I know some of them are going to be doing the hurricane heat 12-hour in Austin in two months. I wish them the best of luck. I won't be able to do that, but good luck to you guys doing that 12-hour. All right. Thanks for your time. Okay, so I know I've been talking a lot about hands getting ripped up after obstacle course races. And like I said, at the Vegas Super, the medic line just out the, out the door of people's hands completely torn up. So I thought it'd be relevant to talk about uh, in our research review 
some things that have been shown to help speed up the healing process. And we're going to talk about a household item that I bet you have in your house right now. And, and maybe you, you drink this on a regular basis, but we're going to talk about tea. And tea, obviously, it's, it's no secret, has a ton of health benefits. And hopefully you're drinking tea on a regular basis. But um, tea has been shown to uh, fight cancer, to improve longevity, to uh uh, leads to cognitive enhancement, uh, performance enhancement, um, and lots of other things. And uh, we're going to actually look at not at drinking tea, but we're going to look at um, actually putting tea on your body. And this is actually something I've been doing for quite a while now that my wife first told me about. She has a gymnastics and cheerleading background, and this is something they would do all the time. Obviously, in gymnastics, their hands are getting torn up on a regular basis, um, and actually putting tea bags on your hands to help um, speed up the, the healing process of some of these torn calluses and other, other issues that you might be having. So I wanted to dig through the research and see what I could find uh, so it wasn't just anecdotal, um, although I do know for a fact that this works really well. But um, the first article I wanted to share was uh, from the Medical College of Georgia. You can find this on sciencedaily.com, and again, I'll put a link to it in our show notes. And they actually wanted to look at green tea. And tea is high in polyphenols, which is a phytochemical found in plants. But essentially, it's just that these teas are full of powerful antioxidants. And green tea, in particular, we see EGCG. And that's an abundant polyphenol found in green tea. And what they did was they looked at skin cells and they applied ECGC to it to see what kind of effect it would have. And they found that it actually reactivated dying skin cells, which was pretty interesting. Sometimes it's hard to think of skin this way, but it's constantly regrowing and regenerating new skin tissues, new skin cells, and they um, move to the outer layer of the skin, and when they get there, they'll last for about 20 days to a month, and then they die, and then new cells will regenerate and take their place, and we have this cycle going over and over and over again. And what they found was when they applied this EGCG, they actually saw those dying cells start to last for longer and actually regenerate there, uh, which was really interesting. And they actually looked at uh, wounds as well. And their theory is that, and I'm going to read a quote directly from this article, if skin cells surrounding wounds or infections don't heal in time, fibroblasts in the connective tissue may rush in to fill the void and cause scar tissue formation. If we spur the skin cells to differentiate and proliferate, we can potentially accelerate the wound healing process and prevent scarring. So that's a lot of words, um, but that is incredibly interesting that <clears throat> I'm sure you've heard of stem cells. So we have kind of these blank cells that are just being at, they're just waiting to be told what to become. And we will take stem cells to form new skin cells. And if those skin cell, uh, stem cells can't get there in time, we might actually fill the void with uh, scar tissue, and will lead, which leads to scarring. So we might actually see a reduction in scarring and less formation of that scar tissue, which is pretty interesting. So green tea applied to the skin might actually increase the healing process, <clears throat> help uh, dying skin cells last longer, um, and a bunch of other benefits, which is really great. And I wanted to bring up one other study on this that actually looked at white tea. And this is from the Journal of Evidence-Based Complementary and Alternative Medicine from 2013. And this was an animal-based study, which normally I don't talk about animal-based studies, but it's a little harder to find human-based studies when they have to 
create incisions and see how they heal because a human subject might be a little upset about being cut just to see how fast they, they can heal and, and what the scar is going to look like. So we're going to use an animal study, um, but it, it, it is pretty interesting. So um, here, like I mentioned, they wanted to look at white tea instead of green tea. And what they did was they cut two centimeter incisions in these rats, and then they um, placed them into different groups. So the first group was the control group where they basically just bandaged it up to see what would happen. Uh, then they had uh, more of a medical-based procedure where they used uh, intracyte gel, which is just a, um, a gel that would think like Neosporin, that uh, more of a medicine to help improve the healing process. And then they did two white tea groups where one, they applied 100 milligrams of the white tea extract and the other group they added uh, 200 milligrams and they wanted to see how the healing process resulted from this and after five days what they found was in the control group they saw about a 45 percent recovery process or, or healing uh, percentage in the intracyte gel they had a 60 percent in the 100 milligram group they had 72 uh, excuse me 62 percent and then the 200 milligram they had uh, 62% as well. So we see that medical grade compound was just as uh, was the, the same effectiveness as using this white tea extract. And they all were significantly better than the control group. And then when they looked after 10 days, that control group was about 87% healed. The intracyte gel group was 95% healed. The 100 milligram of white tea extract was 95% healed. And the 200 milligram group was 98% healed. So we saw the biggest improvements in actually the white tea extract extract group. And uh, they actually saw less scarring. And I'll put a link to this study in the show notes. And if you feel like looking at scars of rats, it's really interesting, but you can see the actual scarring and the healing process of each of the different groups. And it is significantly better in that white tea extract group. So really interesting. So they found that wound um, wounds were healing faster. There was less scarring. They found less inflammation cells, more collagen uh, to help improve that healing process. So really interesting. So um, the takeaway from this is give it a try. If you notice that you tore up your hands, all you're going to do is take some tea. Um, I've used black tea. You can use green tea, white tea, any of these, and you can play around which see, to see which one seems to work the best. And all you're going to do is like make a normal cup of tea. Um, once you're done steeping that tea, you'll, you'll take the tea bag out. You can um, get the, uh, the, the water out of it. And then you're just going to place that on your hand and you can wrap it up so it doesn't drip at all. And you're just going to hold it on there for five or 10 minutes. And you're going to do that for the, for a couple nights um, or days after you've injured your hand and see how much faster that this actually, um, heals. And then you have a cup of tea to drink that evening as well. So just be careful that there's no caffeine or you might have some issues going to bed. Um, but yeah, that's, I just found this really interesting. There, there are, there is research behind this. It is something, like I said, I've been doing for a while, but give it a try and see if it's helping, uh, heal your hands so you can hit those workouts a little bit quicker. Hey, what's up Spartans, SGX coach and registered dietitian Anne LaRue here to talk to you as a follow-up to last week's episode when we talked about lies that people believe when it comes to nutrition. And this week we're going to talk about truths. And what I decided to do for this week is get a little bit more specific into one truth because I know everybody that's listening is really looking to improve their performance 
through many aspects and all the great coaches and guest speakers that, that Mike has on. So I wanted to make sure that today's snippet into nutrition was really worth your while. The truth I want to talk about today is fueling for performance and how if you don't really know what you're taking in, then you're not going to see the benefits that you could. A lot of people try to eat right and they try to fuel based on what they've read here or there. And that's great, just in the same way that any running is great, great for you. But if you're not running with a periodized plan specific to your race schedule and using your heart rate as a gauge, you're not going to get the best results. And the same thing is true with nutrition. If you're not eating based on your specific needs in the ratios that you need based on your daily training plan, and you don't also know what your calories are made up of, meaning grams of carb, protein, and seeing how many healthy fats you're getting in, then you're not doing everything that you can to fuel your best performance. So that's the truth. Now, how do we use that information to perform better? Well, I'm going to start on a few different levels. First, we're going to take it to the basics. Number one, if you haven't spoken with a registered dietitian or perhaps gotten some guidance from an SGX coach who has a slight background in nutrition, if you haven't gotten your specific needs calculated to know how many calories you should take in, not only per day, but how many extra calories that you should take in based around your training schedule, then you're already at a disadvantage. For example, what I mean with that is I recently started with a new client. We went for a run and we talked about what his training plan is for the year. He's an endurance athlete. He's looking to do a 50-miler, a 100-miler. He wants to go all out with that. However, last year he came up short. He tries to eat healthy. He tries to understand eating carbohydrates around his meals, um, going with fats based on where his heart rate regulations are going to be, but he hasn't yet figured out how metabolically efficient his body is at burning calories um, and where those calories need to come from. So that's what he wanted to know. But the challenge was he hadn't even been tracking his food intake enough to know at a minimum, is he getting in enough calories to support his daily activity? So he wanted to jump the gun and go straight into fueling for specific needs when he didn't even have the basics down. So what do I do in that case? I talk with my client about what they're generally taking in and I have them log. I have them log their food intake for about four weeks because it takes four weeks of both seeing their eating habits as compared to their training output, calorie and energy output. It takes about four weeks for me to have a good baseline of how often they're meeting their needs. That's where we start. So I calculate their needs. I say at a bare minimum, based on your training schedule, you need to be taking in X amount of calories per day. We start there. I watch that for a week or so and see how on point they are. The next level is where we go, and you may be ready for this point, or your client may be ready for this point, or this would be the next step in your plan. The next piece is I start looking at, okay, where are those carbohydrate, where are those calories coming from? primarily from carbs, proteins, fats? Are you heavy in one area and not in another? And are you timing those nutrient intakes around your training in a way that's going to enhance performance? So the next step in the plan is I look at, okay, knowing your overall calorie intake is great, but now based on your fueling needs, 
when do those calories need to be eaten and from what macronutrients do they need to come from? So for example, if somebody is telling me that Sunday is their long run, I would be looking at the two days prior, the two to three days prior to see, okay, what other activity are you doing? Where, how many calories do you need? And how are we building your macronutrient intake leading up to Sunday's long run? From there, we would decide how many grams of carb versus protein versus fat that those calories need to come from. Now, that's not cut and dry either because we have to keep in mind how long has this person been training on this plan? Now, if somebody is running a 20-miler long run and they've been training for these low heart rate long runs for a long period of time, we're talking greater than three months, they may be more metabolically efficient and not need as many carbohydrates. However, if they're new to this, first of all, I would be telling them, let's not even run 20, that's way too long. But based on how well they've been doing heart rate training, they may or may not need more calories from carbohydrates. And we would have come up with that idea in the weeks leading, leading up to this plan, right? From there, once we establish his basic everyday training needs based around his plan, we can then get to the more specifics of, okay, race day fueling, 24 to 48 hours prior, then during the race nutrition, and then the refueling so he can be strong the next time. So we started very basics, we built into more specifics, and then we got into the nitty gritty. And we're constantly tweaking these because every, every six months to a year that he runs and races, his efficiency and his meal patterns may change. What he can tolerate may change. We may need less nutrition overall to support, or if his training plan is getting more intense, if you're somebody that did you know, one race the first year, three the next, and six the next, and all of a sudden you jump to 10, your training plan and your nutritional intake plan really need to change with that. And that may not mean I'll do the same thing, but I'll do more of it. It may be a completely differently tweaked plan. So constantly working with a trainer, constantly working with a dietitian or an SGX coach with a really good background in nutrition could be that difference in your performance in your races over the course of the year. And that's the truth. For more of my truths, definitely take a look at the blog that's in the show notes, talks about 10 lies and five truths that everybody believes. And for more on general nutrition as well as fueling for performance, check out all of my blogs on Spartan's webpage. Ready to learn your specific needs? Check out my Facebook page link in the show notes and contact me directly. I do one-on-one -on -one assessments to evaluate your specific needs, complete with a spreadsheet of all of that broken down, and then I do weekly monitoring of your food logs and journals, and we can help critique a plan just for you. Reach out anytime. All right, what's up, everybody? It is time for the SGX Coaches interview. And as usual, I have a very special guest with us. I have SGX Coach Mark Barroso from 
barosofit.com, an online fitness community. Now, Mark has kind of a different background than many of our other guests that we've had on the show, and he actually has a degree in journalism and professional writing from the College of New Jersey. He's a certified personal trainer, SGX coach, athlete, fitness model, and professional journalist. And you may have seen some of his articles in magazines like Muscle and Fitness, Flex. Um, He's also a contributor to Men's Health. And he's currently, uh, on top of being a coach, a freelance journalist uh, and health writer. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, I'm a fan of Spartan Underground for sure. So um, this is a pleasure. Awesome. So let's get started just uh, in case our listeners haven't heard of you before. Kind of talk about your background a little bit, how how you went from uh, getting a degree in journalism to more the fitness track and, and eventually Spartan racing and training. Sure. So um, let's see. In high school, there was a class called journalism, and I took that class. And I didn't think, you know, that that would be what I wanted to do in college per se. But I have always been into writing. Like even when I was a kid, I would like this is like middle school. I would write in a journal just for fun. And part of that might be because I grew up without my father, so we don't really have a good relationship, my father and I. So I didn't really have anyone to talk to. Um, so I would write down my thoughts on my own. It was very like introverted in that sense at home. Of course, you know, I'm outgoing in person. So eventually, you know, always writing what I did that day, you know, um, things I was planning out or whatever. And that journaling went throughout high school. So in high school, I was a kid. This is like a hard copy journal, like a notebook, right? So in high school, I was a kid with a journal and then other people would write in my journal, like little notes or draw things. Even like, you know, people that were good at drawing would draw things. So um, eventually by senior year, I was like, you know, I carry around this journal. I'm always writing things and I write for the school newspaper. You know, I'm just going to major in journalism. And um, I played football in high school and um, I only played from sophomore year to senior year. And uh, I got kind of good, I guess. And I thought I would play in college. And I chose the College of New Jersey. I, I liked the campus. And I thought I would be able to get playing time on the football team. Um, so that's where I went to school. And the football thing didn't work out. So I actually quit the team after two years. Um, but I wrote for the student newspaper at the College of New Jersey, writing about sports and various articles. And then uh, by junior year, I had applied to an internship at Men's Fitness uh, and Muscle and Fitness. American Media Inc. is a publisher. And I secured that my junior year. And then I got the internship again my senior year. So I was an intern for a while there. And then, you know, a few months after I had graduated my senior year, I was offered a full-time position. And uh, now um, I'm a year removed from working with that company. So I've been a freelancer for a year. And then, um, that's the journalism background. Awesome. So what, what got you into Spartan race training? Yeah. So how the Spartan race came about and, um, there are, there are many other people who have had this opportunity, but they haven't really, um, stuck with Spartan race or obstacle racing in general. So, um, as a journalist, actually working for, you know, men's fitness and muscle and fitness, I was invited by Reebok to try one of these races. So I had heard about them before because I believe one of my senior editors had assigned me a task, like find out about all these races. Like, do you have to sign a death waiver, all this? And I was looking into it 
and that was just an assignment, you know, that was from someone above me. But then I recall getting an email about, you know, trying a race and that happened along with my colleagues there. So it wasn't just me who did this. There were other colleagues at the time. We all went and we did the city field Spartan race to try it out and write about it. And that was 2014 city field in New York. And I loved it. And I knew that it was something that was very similar to football. And I liked that. And it was just like an adrenaline rush for me. Like I was really excited beforehand. I was getting hyped up. Um, and after that, my next race was um, Fenway, where Reebok had invited us again. And again, it wasn't just me. There are other people that were invited as well. But out of that group, I would say that I was the most into it. So then that was a cold race, actually, 2014 Fenway. So then after that race, I knew that no matter what happened, um, I would be signing up for these on my own. So that's what ended up happening. So um, there were, weren't really any other media events. I just started signing up for them on my own. I always love asking how uh, your first race, how many burpees did you have to do, if any? Um, wow, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I think I might have actually failed the rope climb my first race. Okay. Um, and probably the spear throw. I think I probably failed the spear throw and rope climb at most. Those are two common ones that people get, get hung up on. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so for sure. When did you start coaching then? Yeah, so my first certification ever was the Spartan SGX certification. And um, that was the, I got that at the end of 2015. So I've been certified for um, December of this year, will make two years. And um, only up until, I didn't have my own uh, class up until I became a personal trainer um, in December of last year. 2016. So I had the certification pretty much for a year without much practical use in the sense where aside from just working out with my buddies and setting up little circuit training with them, I wasn't using it really um, on a client basis until recently. But I, w I got my NSCA, National Strength and Conditioning Association, certification um, in December of 2016. So, um, but I will say that the Spartan SGX certification, aside from just having, you know, the, in, the practical use in the gym, it's a really good networking tool for sure. Like, because Spartan sends you emails sometimes, like just to coaches and also like, um, having access to that Facebook page, the workshop alum, and of course meeting great coaches like you. Oh, thank you. And I think it's pretty cool that how this kind of started where you, you, the Spartan program was actually your first certification and now your, your background is growing off of that, which is awesome. And you have a lot of practical experience, uh, to go with, with these certifications. And that's kind of why I wanted to bring you on here and talk about it a little bit. So you were on our last episode, giving the recap of the Greek peak races. Uh, you did both the sprint and the hurricane heat. And there's a couple of things I wanted to, to bring up cause we, we talked uh, about that race and I thought you had some interesting things to prep with it that I know our listeners might uh, find handy. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about supplements because I know that's a topic that many people are always inquiring about, which supplements work, which don't. Um, and I know you don't, you don't recommend supplements to replace a good training program and a good 
uh, uh, food program, but you had some things that work really well for you. So I, I want to talk about some of the things that you find working for yourself, especially, and let's start with, you did um, back-to-back races. So you did the sprint and then later that evening was the hurricane heat. So that's tough to do two pretty intense races, especially in the cold weather, back-to-back. So walk us through your your program a little bit for that. Program in terms of training or in terms of nutrition? Let's start with the nutrition and, and supplementation that, that you would use for that. Right. So I have a whiteboard in my office at home. So I literally wrote on the whiteboard you know, just because I did this for Palmerton, I was basing it off Palmerton. For me, this was Palmerton, the cold version. So, um, which is funny, actually, but it, that's true. That's how I planned it. Um, and for Palmerton, I wrote down on a whiteboard, and this, it helped me. I wrote down the supplements I would take between the events, um, and even before, too. But before, it's, before is a little, it's hard to stick by because you're rushing or whatever, the between, though, is what I actually, in Palmerton, what I did in between was I just took a nap in my car. It was so hot that I didn't even feel like going back to my hotel. There wasn't much time. So I took a nap in my car, but I looked at my phone at the picture of this whiteboard, and I was like, oh, okay, you got to do this. You got to do that. Um, so then I, I thought that maybe I might have to take a nap in my car again for a Greek peak. So I took a picture of that whiteboard, and... I didn't follow it to the T. I didn't need to because luckily be- between the hurricane heat and the um, – well, the other way around. Between the sprint and hurricane heat, I did go back to my hotel. So it wasn't that much of a rush. I had more time. Um, but basically the morning of the race – well, the week leading into the race, I take X Endurance, which is uh, X Endurance Extreme Endurance, which are just some pills that have um, calcium, pepain, which is uh, – the main compound in papaya, which is an anti-inflammatory, uh, magnesium, potassium, um, selenium, chromium, black pepper fruit. So, um, just basically to load up on some electrolytes and then, um, again, it's not immediate energy. It's more like loading up on electrolytes. Um, I always take turmeric, like pretty much anytime I'm sore or sometimes even daily. So that's, uh, now I don't just buy turmeric. I buy, um, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it exactly, but curcumin, curcumin, the main compound in turmeric, which is the plant. Mm-hmm. So, curcumin. and curcumin, what that does, and obviously OCR knows a lot about that, but so I don't know if they know that the future of that has been these companies patenting different blends of curcumin and something else. So what I've done is I've gone out and I've bought different blends that are patented such as C3, BCM95, these companies patent the this certain way to make curcumin, and they're all different. So not all curcumin is the same. So I play around with these different patents. <laughs> yeah, and I know one, uh, one time uh, they found that to increase absorption, you'll find the combination of uh, pepperine, I think it's called, or pepper, basically. So turmeric and, and pepper is a good combination to increase uh, absorption of it. Yes, that's true. However, I think there was recently a, a rat study. I didn't look at it. it. I just saw it on Reddit one time that actually said the opposite, that it doesn't help. But in humans, I'm sure it does help because it, it's such a popular thing that bioperine, it's such a popular thing in supplements, it's, it has to increase absorption. But anyway, so um, 
so I took that the week leading in. So then one serving in the morning before the sprint of the X endurance, um, one glucose energy gel, but that's right before the race. So glucose G L U K O S it's basically, um, more electrolytes, but it's also sugar. And you know, this wouldn't be good for you to take just sitting at your desk at, at work. That's not how you want to get energy, just eating liquid sugar, but they're packets, liquid packets. And the ingredients are water, glucose, potassium, sea salt. You know, so it's got um, those electrolytes plus the sugar. So that's right before. And if if you, for uh, if you're running a longer event, this would be perfect for during the event as well. And it's water, so it's not a gel. So it's not like you need to drink water with it. It's already water. It just has all this other stuff. So that's like the timing wise. That's right before. Literally, like that's when I arrived. I took that. Uh, a 200 milligram caffeine pill. That's just because I have a high tolerance to caffeine, and it it's a pretty popular supplement in the endurance community and even in weightlifting communities. So nothing too crazy. Like I don't take a pre-workout just just to get me going. Um, same as drinking coffee, really. If you're just taking the pill, well, not really the same. But um, so, and then a half serving of Cellucor's Alpha Amino Extreme. So. Cellicor has alpha amino, which doesn't have caffeine. The alpha amino, alpha amino extreme has 100 milligrams of caffeine, but it only took half a serving. So if you add that to the 200 milligrams, that's 250 milligrams of caffeine, which might seem like a lot. But again, with the high tolerance, that's really only like um, two really strong cups of coffee, um, maybe a little more. But And then the, the breakfast, I actually uh, I stayed at the Holiday Inn Express and they do complimentary breakfast. So I just had eggs, bacon, turkey sausage, some OJ, and unfortunately a cinnamon bun because I couldn't <laughs> resist that. But um, <laughs> yeah, so that stuff. Okay, cool. And so, then so everything you've mentioned so far, so the Exendur, the turmeric or, or curcumin, uh, the glucose gel, the caffeine, the alpha amino extreme, that was all pre-race. Is that correct? I'm not sure. If, I'm not sure if I took the curcumin before the race, okay. but I know I took it between, and I, I probably had been taking it the week leading into. Okay. And that brand was Jaro Jaro J A R R O W ninety five, and it's not really the brand that mattered. It's the fact that it had the the um, I believe it's the BCM ninety five patented blend. So, um, or it might be the C three. Yeah, no, yeah, it's. Curcumin 95 by Jarrow Formulas, and that has the C3 complex, Curcumin, curcumin C3 complex. Okay, and I'll, I'll put links in our show notes to all of these different products. Um, not, not that, and I know that you're not endorsed by any of these brands. These are just ones that you happen to find work well for you, but just so people can see, at least look at the list of ingredients if it's something that they think might help help with them. And I do want to mention too, you're not... We're, we're listing what's working well for you. You're not necessarily saying, hey, everybody should be taking these supplements beforehand. This is just the protocol that seemed to work really well for you, and that's that's what we're doing right here. I agree, except on the, the curcumin part, because that, that's uh, been researched for a while about being an anti-inflammatory. That can help pretty much anyone. There's no, there's really, aside from maybe some gastrointestinal issues, minor, there's been very little negative side effects from supplementing human supplementation with curcumin just saying okay, but aside yeah. from that yeah okay. everything else 
Okay, cool. So, so uh, that was all beforehand. Um, other than the the turmeric, did you have anything uh, in between races? Yeah, I did. So uh, I brought meals to this race, and again, a lot of these things Spartans they do already. And what makes me different, though, is that um, they actually train hard for these things. This is just a hobby for me. So. so I'm doing this as an insurance policy. They're doing it because it's part of their, it's part of their training, basically. So anyway, uh, between the events, though, I brought six ounces of baked chicken, three ounces of white rice, and then three ounces of green vegetables. I ate that, and then also um, took one serving of SI Nutrients Max Endurance, which this is actually um, it has NAC, which is um, I don't know how to pronounce it really, but um, astocystinine or something like that. And astocystinine, um, I know I pronounced that wrong, but it's NAC. It's kind of like, uh, for me, it, it has a minor, um, what's it called? Decongestion effect. So it helps you breathe better, like an expectorant effect almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we can go into a lot about this stuff, but yeah. So and I don't even know how to pronounce some of this stuff, but I just know the names. So it's like glutathione, glutathione, glutathione. Um, that's glutathione. Yeah. I believe it increases that, which is an antioxidant and it helps again with the respiratory stuff. So one serving of SI nutrients and, and they mix what SI nutrients does. They mix a lot of that with a little bit of turmeric. <laughs> yeah. So that was, it's an interesting combo. So I took one serving of that. Those are pills. And then glutamine, I take after tough workouts, even if I'm just doing a bodybuilding workout, um, I'll take glutamine. So the brand doesn't matter, just any glutamine, one serving of that. And then beta alanine, I believe I had some beta alanine. This is something that um, buffers the um, lactic acid in your body to help you recover strength faster. So it's in a lot of pre-workouts. Beta alanine, it's been shown to actually increase soldiers marksmanship like uh shooting ability it recovers your um strength and probably cognition faster yeah but, um, uh, just real quick on beta alanine that's one there's there's pretty solid research on on that supplement and but I, I will give a warning for some people with beta alanine they do tend to get that tingly feeling after ingesting it um and that freaks people out sometimes i kind of like it because it, it feels like, it, you know, if, if you're doing it for a pre-workout and it kind of gets you jacked up and ready to go, you might like that, that type of feeling. But for some people, if they're not ready for it, it can really freak them out. And, um, so just kind of warning with beta alanine, I have not seen any negative side effects with it. I've personally taken it plenty of times and, and do like it, uh, especially for improving strength and endurance. But, um, I just want to at least give that kind of warning. Yes, it does cause that tingling feeling for sure. So one serving of glucose energy powder, so not the gel this time, but they, they make a powder that um, I believe it has similar ingredients, but it's just a little bit um, stronger, I think it is. So it's got, um, so again, G-L-U-K-O-S. It has, yeah, it's, so instead of the water as the first ingredient, it has glucose as the first ingredient, and then it has the potassium and salt. 
Um, beta carotene is just for color, though. And then stevia. There's no, like, I mean, the sugar is natural sugar. And this glucose stuff, it just acts quickly. So um, whereas maltodextrin is a more slow-release type of sugar, um, it's, it's very, it acts very fast. So one serving of that, that's just mixed with water. And then one serving of glucose whey protein powder and I chose the glucose whey protein powder because they mix whey protein with glucose, which is your natural's, your body's natural energy. Like it's the compound that is a part of a lot of chemical reactions in your body. And that I actually feel like that gives me energy, the whey protein and the glucose. Like some, so some protein powders like kind of make you sluggish. This one is like my endurance protein so that after a long run, I still have energy after if I take this one. So... And that was it. And then throughout the weekend, I was just eating like cashew nut butter. I'm a huge like uh, um, nut butter fan, almond butter, peanut butter, cashew butter, whatever. Awesome. So you have a pretty good combination of because I know we're talking a lot about supplements, but I don't want people to think that you're just popping a whole bunch of powders, gels and pills, but you're definitely combining this with real food as well. Yeah, that's that's the disclaimer is that I am so much for real food, like since I was probably 18 years old, I've always bought my own groceries and cooked my own food. So like my parents like were never the ones to be cooking for me. It's not like I would come home and eat what they made. It was always me meal prepping every weekend, um, a few times a week, even my own food. So it's, it has nothing to do with using supplements as a replacement for food. I use the supplements as an addition to food that I've cooked myself. So that's just a disclaimer. And I don't know why a lot of um, people, dietitians and whatnot, they try to make it sound like people that take supplements are trying to replace their food with supplements. No, there's a lot of people that know what they're doing with food. They just add supplements to it because they can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and like you said, you, this isn't your main focus where a lot of people, you know, probably listening to this, this show they train specifically for Spartan races or other OCRs, and that's their main their main goal. And you don't necessarily always train for this type of, of race. It's just something you like to do. And since your training doesn't necessarily reflect what you're going to be doing in the race, you need to get a little bit of help other than food with some of these supplements. Yeah, sure. And it's just, I like experiment. I mean, I just like experimenting with different supplements too. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Because I like... Uh, during the football years, I was always, you know, experimenting with proteins and pre-workouts and stuff. So um, I'm not saying there's no negative side effects to supplements. Of course there are. Um, I've just tried to single out ingredients. You know, everything I named has are no proprietary blends at all. It's all single ingredient pretty much um, for specific reasons. So Awesome. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point that you just brought up. All right. So any, any other thing that you're doing maybe after all this is over to help with recovery or is it just kind of more of what you've been doing? Um, well, I mean, I, I recover pretty quickly. Um, but if there were an injury, if I had gotten injured, like at the beast last year, I was pretty sore and it led to some issues like muscular issues in my legs. Um, I would try to use a uh, some type of stim, like whether it's a tens unit, or I have the Compax wireless thing, uh, sports stim. That would just to be to break up the inflammation, like 
as fast as possible. And there's also topical stuff like rock sauce is a good topical menthol cream. Um, that's a good one I like to use. So, and ice itself sometimes, just ice itself will help like an ankle sprain or strain. So, yeah, but that's, I only, again, this isn't necessarily what people should do. It's just for me, like, I don't use those measures like stims and all that unless I absolutely need to. Mm -hmm. I try to condition my body to recover on its own. Would I be able to perform better if I stimmed myself every day? Maybe, but I just don't do that unless they need to. Awesome. So just to kind of sum up a lot of what you've you've talked about, whether somebody wants to check out some of these supplements or just primarily use uh, food sources... The thing, everything that you've mentioned, the main things that you're trying to focus on are electrolytes and energy beforehand, uh, maybe a little bit of caffeine just for a little bit of a, of a boost in performance and, and uh, mental alertness. Uh, and then afterwards, to help with recovery, lots of anti-inflammatories. And then if you have another race coming up, uh, maybe a little bit more energy. And I ate that same meal, the six ounces of chicken and greens and rice after the hurricane heat. I ate that same meal. Okay. So yeah. it's not like I didn't eat. So maybe some people after that hurricane heat, they didn't even eat. Mm-hmm. They were just like, oh, I'm tired. Uh, I'll just you know eat a protein bar. No. And of course, during the hurricane heat, I ate a bunch of snacks and stuff, jerky, bars, nuts. I had food left over. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And, and it's another thing like just in working out in general, even if you're just doing um, – you know, weightlifting or running, a lot of people, they'll work out at night and then not eat after that workout because they ate before. And that's, I think that you should be eating after your workouts and before your workouts. All right, cool. Uh, one thing you did mention, I, I want to go back to real quick is actually that nap that you took in your car. Um, did you nap uh, for this last race in between? No, I didn't actually. Did you feel uh, any difference or do you think that that would be an important part of kind of that recovery process if you're if you're going to come back for another heat or, or hurricane heat or something like that because um, you know sleep is such an important recovery tool and I'm just curious if you noticed that after the nap maybe it did help or if you didn't didn't notice anything there. Um, well, the nap for Palmerton it was really just um. I, I don't really know why it happened. I think it was just really hot that day. Well, I know it was really hot that day. So I think the heat played a factor in me being more tired. And I did have like an hour to spare. And I just didn't want to go back to the hotel because I think the hotel was like probably like at least a half hour drive. So um, it wasn't really a performance thing. It was more like just um, this was the most logical thing to do. But I, I think that... Um, I didn't need the nap for the hurricane heat um, because it was the first race of the year kind of thing. I wasn't really like going crazy with my training beforehand. And I had all this energy from loading up on all the electrolytes that even by the end of the hurricane heat, I was still had a lot of gas left in the tank. So um, I guess that's another reason why I like to experiment with certain things to see how much energy I have by X amount of hours completed on my feet yeah definitely and and you know it's just at least something for people to consider that if you have some time to kill in between a nap might be a good thing and you know be careful with it we're talking like a 20 30 minute nap or so versus like two hours where you wake up and you're going to be all sluggish and and hard to get going going again but a quick power nap might be 
um, just what you needed to help you recover for for that next race. It could be, yeah. There's you can, there's some literature out there about um, power naps with coffee beforehand, or some, or you know, like caffeine power naps and waking up more alert or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's definitely some stuff out there. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, um, so just real quick, I wanted to go over BarrosoFit.com. What what can people find there? So that is a um, a website I made on Squarespace, and the main reasoning for that was a place where I can create my own content. Um, that's my own. So a lot of the content, the majority of content I create are for other publishers and websites. There is a small amount I create for my own blog. So that was the main purpose. So what you can find on there, um, most regularly posted are race recaps of the races I do. So last year I did 16 OCRs plus two GORUCKS and the majority of them have race recaps on my site. Um, which is, I think, is a good resource for people in the in the OCR community, and you can also find um, some. Uh, I was going to say articles about supplements, but I think there are articles. About, yeah, there are some articles about supplements, um, and uh, yeah, just some topics about fitness. Uh, some classes I've tried, maybe some fitness classes, maybe an event I went to. I wrote about some fitness events I've gone to. Um, really like uh it's more of a hobby like the blog part of it but if you look into the site itself there's actually a lot of different things you can do so you can pitch as a pr professional you can pitch me there a story and that's how i've written stories on the site from people pitching me there um you can contribute a blog yourself if you're an aspiring writer um or if you just like if you want to write a race recap i'm accepting those and then you can also sign up for a personalized customized training plan through that site, um, which ultimately is a Google Drive document with specific exercises. And then I have links to movement, like the actual videos of how to do those movements. Um, right now, they're third-party links of source of sites I trust, but I also have photos of and videos of me doing some of the moves. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different um, facets to it. All right. Awesome. Yeah. And there are a ton of articles on there and, you know, specific to OCR and Spartan race training. So again, I'll put a link to it in this episode's show notes so people can, can go check it out. Hey, what's up? It's Mike. And sorry to interrupt this interview, but there was a little audio glitch and it missed the question that I asked Mark, but I just wanted to let you know that I asked him a little bit more about his training program to finish up this interview. So that is where we're going to pick this back up. I would say though, that um, and this is more uh, motivational is that you do not have to be a runner to do that. And that's kind of like my message is you don't have to be a runner or have a running background to do obstacle racing. So, um, you know, I have been training like a bodybuilder for the majority of my life and I still do train like a bodybuilder. And there are, you know, elite bodybuilders that do these races. I wrote an article for Spartan about five people uh, one of them, a professional um, bikini competitor who have done both bodybuilding and Spartan race. So it's not just for endurance athletes. Yes, it's a lot of running, but it's a lot of obstacles too. So with that said, um, I'll run on the treadmill sometimes or run outside and then break that up every, say, um, 10 minutes with a bodyweight move. So like 20 burpees, 20 box jumps, Spider-Man push-ups. So 
I'll do 10 minutes of running and then break it up with a bodyweight move. Or I'll even do sprints sometimes where it's like a quarter mile sprint broken up by a bodyweight move. And then I'll just repeat that for, you know, if I was using the 10 minute rule, 10 minutes, then a bodyweight move, maybe just I'll do that during an hour run. Or if it was the sprint rule, I'll do five to 10 sprints, you know, with supersetted with the bodyweight move. So I do mimic the course sometimes. It's not like I don't mimic the course in my training. I do. But there's other days that I just do strict bodybuilding. Um, that's just because that's what I like to do in the gym. So um, I would say, yeah, mimicking the course, a lot of grip strength work. Um, I haven't failed any upper body obstacles like in a long time. So like the, the rope, I just do with my arms. I don't even use the legs. I've never needed to use my legs. It's always all arms. Um, that's because I have big up. I have a strong upper body. So grip strength exercises would be farmers carries, um, you know, hanging from a pull up bar like dead hangs, and um, shrugs, dumbbell shrugs, barbell shrugs, and then um, you know barbell squats actually do transfer to the mountain for me when I get low in a barbell squat. Sometimes I'll pause in the bottom of a barbell squat with not that much weight. And, cut, and literally just hold it there for like five to 10 seconds. And that makes me envision me climbing a mountain sometimes when I'm really digging deep. So there's little ways to um, use weights to mimic the course. And that's what I try to do. And even mimic the feeling like when I train legs, it can be using machines, but I'll just use the play around with the reps to mimic the feeling I would have on a course where I'm pretty shot. So, um, again, it's nothing that's like I I've written down on paper and pen, which I do plan to do. I do plan to create a program in the future. That's my own. But for now it's just been, you know, working out maybe two to three times a week. Um, sometimes more, sometimes less even, and I'm doing the things that I know are going to prepare me for a course. Awesome. Awesome. So you still do that bodybuilding program and then you just throw in, you know, making sure you get some grip work, making sure you're getting some lower body strength and endurance in there, and then throwing in those uh, treadmill runs with, with some body weight exercises to, uh, to top it off. Yeah, I do jog outside too. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's not like I have a bodybuilding plan, but if I, if I took any week and I was like, this week I'm going to work out three times, I would split it into different body parts. So one day would be maybe chest and arms. The next day would be back. And then the next day would be legs. So, um, and then shoulders maybe the next week. So I do still split up body parts like by the week, like a bodybuilder would, but I also end those workouts though. Like the beginning will be focused on that body part, but it'll end the workout with a circuit so that that hits the whole body. Okay. So that way I'm building muscle while I'm, you know, improving my aerobic fitness and, um, you know, not to take away from at the most elite, at the most elite level, these guys are muscular, but I just think it's fascinating how, you know, more muscular guys, like even more muscular than the elite level winners of these races can still have success on a course, like, and be endurance athletes, um, you know, doubling up on both of those really hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that's cool. I mean, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Because I know there's probably some people out there that they don't want to give up their traditional training program, but they still want to do Spartan races so they can kind of get a little bit of each world and still get their 
their tip traditional workout in, but just add a couple things to, to make sure they're at least prepared for what they'll see on the course. Yeah. And a good example of that is Kevin Donahue, who was on your podcast recently. Yeah. Um, he's a bigger guy, you know, like he's a bigger guy. Um, and he performs very well. Yeah. So yeah. that's, um, you know, it, he wasn't a runner. He doesn't have the runner body, but he still performs well. So his training must be very intense, obviously, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of the weights as well. So, yeah. well, awesome. All right. Well, I think we've we've covered a ton of stuff for our listeners to to absorb and and try and uh, implement it as best they can in their program. But again, thank you so much for coming on, and hopefully, we'll see you out on the course sometime. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Take care. It's uh, still snowing out here in New Jersey, but hopefully, it stops soon. <laughs> Oh, I shouldn't rub it in, but I think it's 80 here in, in San Diego, so I don't miss that. Yeah, <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for episode 28 of the Spartan Underground show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you guys picked up a few things to strengthen your training and nutrition program. Again, the show notes for this episode are at spartanunderground.com slash episode dash 28. And if you did pick up a few things, I'd love it if you gave us a review. You can head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review or wherever you might be listening to us. We really appreciate any reviews you can give us. Thank you to all of our guests that we had on this episode. We had Coach CJ Wagner from MisfitStrength.com to give his review on the Houston Sprint. Coach Anne LaRue for sharing her part two on her article, The Ten Lies Plus the Five Truths About Dieting. And SGX Coach Mark Barroso on to give us some of his great insight and tips on Spartan race training. And I want to give a quick shout out to our show sponsors for making this show possible. First up is Designer Protein. For all of your protein needs, you can check out their products at designerprotein.com. They have a wide array of different protein products, uh, both vegetarian and whey-based, as well as greens powder, ancient grains, meal replacements, and a few other items. Again, don't forget, you get a huge discount using SD Premier 20. You'll get 20% off your next order. And also Mobilitas, your new favorite mobility tools. Check out all of their mobility resources at yourjointsshouldnthurt.com. And if you need any extra help with your training, don't forget you can try out and join the Spartan Underground membership site for just $1. You'll get three days access to all the training videos, articles, audio interviews, and everything else we have in there. Just head over to the link in the show notes to join for just a buck. All right, well, that's going to do it, and I will see you guys next week.